I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. Shelley Potter is the national president of Chi Omega Fraternity. She has spent her life helping young women reach their leadership potential. She joins me on the podcast today to talk about the evolving role of Greek organizations, as well as why single gender organizations still matter, especially for women. Shelly, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thanks, Laura. I am so happy to have you here. You're here all the way from Dallas, Texas, joining us in Washington. Uh, Shelly, as I mentioned, is the national president of the Chi Omega fraternity, still called a fraternity. We're going to talk about why that's the case in a minute. But Shelly, what does it mean to be the national president of Chi Omega? Well, Laura, it is an extraordinary opportunity for me personally because I have the great privilege of being a mentor to 28,000 collegiate uh, women and also the opportunity to help them grow as individuals, as leaders, and to empower them to seek their highest potential, not only as a collegian, but also offer opportunities for networking long after graduation. Give me a sense of what a typical day in this role entails. I know this is technically not a full-time job, even though it really is. It's an unpaid position. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, you're a nonprofit mm-hmm. executive, essentially. Exactly. So uh, there are 26 national sororities, and all of us have a structure of volunteers who are in a leadership position, but we all also have a national headquarters, and our case is in Memphis, Tennessee, with a fantastic professional staff. So my role is actually to set the vision, along with my board members, for our fraternity, and then our staff uh, work closely together with the board to make sure that that uh, is implemented and and for me it is absolutely an opportunity to serve to give back uh, and as a student I had the tremendous opportunity to be a founding member of my own chapter and so I could quickly see the opportunity to build a community for women for women who sought more out of their college experience and who had an opportunity to network well beyond our college years your personal story in how you became a member of Chi Omega originally is very interesting because you were at Texas A&M University in the sort of immediate years after it became a co-ed school. What was that like then founding an organization for women? Actually, it was very interesting. So when I went to Texas A&M, women had just been on campus for a few years and had just begun to live on campus in dormitories. So for me, it was very interesting to be a very small group. There was about five to one men to women. And while I was interested in the academic areas that Texas A&M offered, and my father had gone to Texas A&M, so I loved everything about the university, I quickly realized that there were not opportunities for women to join together. 
And that was something that uh, I didn't know that I was going to miss until I got there. And I wanted the opportunity to have leadership experiences. I wanted the opportunity to, to serve, to give back, and those didn't exist. So my sophomore year, there were uh, local alumni in the area started sororities on campus. And so I wasn't sure that that was the right way. But after I learned more about it, I realized that I could seek more, do more, and be more by becoming a part of an organization at a a previously all-male institution. Uh, Of course, as a sophomore, I didn't know then what I I know now, and I would say it's one of the best life decisions I ever made because it has enriched my life beyond measure, without a doubt. And I think, too, to be a part of something bigger than yourself is an extraordinary opportunity. And and that's why I became involved. And then I went to work for Chi Omega when I graduated from Texas A&M as a what we call chapter visitor now. They're called National Leadership Consultants. And so I've stayed involved as and a volunteer. And what did you do in that role? So in that role, I visited chapters around the country. And I would go uh, meet with the officers. I would help them with officer training. I would help them with leadership skills. I would help them problem solve if there were any challenges on campus. I would help them learn how to recruit new members that had the same kinds of values that that we were certainly seeking. And then that door opened another door, and that has been the story of how I have, have stayed involved. And um, I was privileged to go to a university where they believe in developing leaders of character that was important to me and so I've had the opportunity myself then to to carry that message forward. Yeah it's also the location where former President George H.W. Bush established his School of Public Service which again sort of reinforces that message of of service there at the institution of Texas Mm A&M. How has Chi Omega and other sororities and fraternities, really the Greek system, evolved over this period of time? It's been a few years since you Mm -hmm. and I were sorority Mm -hmm. members, and there's been a lot of change in the world. How has Mm -hmm. that affected these organizations, for better or worse? Well, I think there have been a lot of changes. Most of our groups were founded well over 100 years ago, and, and they were founded at a time when women numbered few on campuses, but they knew that opportunities were beckoning beyond. So fast forward, even in the years since I've been a member, we've seen a tremendous amount of interest in the Greek system on many of our campuses. Some of our chapters are quite large, but we've also seen a lot of challenges where we've had the media and universities questioning why why is it still important for all women or all men to gather together in a sorority environment? And to that, I would say the need to be together, to support one another, to have a family, a home away from home, to develop and hone leadership skills has never been greater. And I think we know that there are a lot of statistics that show uh, CEOs and Congress and so many outstanding leaders that we point to do have backgrounds in the Greek system. And I think some of that is because they've had the opportunity to lead. Uh, Most of our chapters 
the average chapter president is 19 and a half years old. So they're leading a large organization. So they're having to learn about group dynamics. They're having to gain confidence and courage at a very young age and learn things that you don't learn in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So I believe that will serve not only our individual members well throughout their lives, but I think it will also serve our country and beyond by having uh, leaders of character and courage that have been developed uh, through the the Greek experience. Can you speak to why there's a particular value for, for women, specifically for women, in being part of a group of other women where, you know, maybe men participate to some degree, but for the most part, it's women talking to women about things that women care about. Why do you think that's important? And why do you think it yields this particular result? I think it's a support. I think for women, having other women to support them, to uh, build them up, to help them problem solve is is incredible. And professionally, I'm a landscape architect. So I have spent my career actually in a profession that is mo- mostly men uh, working with architects as well. And so you don't get the same kind of support that you can from your immediate peer. And so I think as I talk to young women, I have the great privilege of going to college campuses and talking to the young women, and I ask them, what is, why are you interested in Chi What have you gotten out of it? And consistently, they talk about the friendship, the support, the family, the safe space where women can explore Uh, not only their leadership skills, but also social skills, and they can learn risk management skills that will carry them well beyond college, and just a network of support. We know that there are a number of mental health challenges among our students today, and there's been quite a bit of research that indicates having a supportive family environment can be helpful. And so I think that's another thing. We also provide adult advisors, alumni who work with our chapters, who mentor. So we have the intergenerational support system as well, and that is invaluable to have an older sister be able to mentor a younger sister and help her find her way and and achieve. We bring out the best in one another, and that's, I think, the purpose of it. Let's drill down on that topic of mentorship, because you have a lot of experience Mm -hmm. in both as a mentor, as a mentee, and also working with other mentors and mentees. What's your advice for getting the most value out of both sides of that relationship, both for the mentor and for the mentee? I think listening. And one of the things that I have learned sitting in this particular role, and I've been in a lot of roles in the fraternity, is The best thing I can do, especially for our collegiate sisters, is to listen, to listen to their challenges. They don't always need someone to solve their problems. Most often they need to be able to talk about them and to have empathy and to understand that um, changes are happening in the world and how we respond to them, how we are able to help them respond is one of the most important things that we can do. You know, certainly accountability is a piece to that, and any of our national organizations do have expectations for membership. 
And I think that's really important for our members to learn what those sort of guardrails are in terms of what it, it means to be a member of an organization that is uh, nationwide in, in scope. Shelley, you alluded to challenges a moment mm-hmm. ago. Let's talk a bit about some of the challenges that we've seen most recently, media coverage of those challenges. How do you, as a national leader, along with your board, deal with things like that mm-hmm. when they come up? Kids make mistakes, right? Kids in college they, in particular, it's a time of exploration, they make mistakes. So how do you deal with they, those types of mistakes? Yes, exactly. And, and certainly the media is always careful to point out all of the things, mistakes that may be made on college campuses. And I think we know historically, you're right, college is a time where students are away from home for the first time, and many are first-generation college students, so they have to learn, you know, what those norms are on, on a campus. But clearly, alcohol, the abuse of substance and alcohol is still a challenge on all of our campuses. So we work very hard to have risk management programming so that our students can make good decisions because it ultimately comes down to people having the information and the confidence to make the best decision for themselves and understanding that whatever decisions they make do impact the rest of not only their own group, but potentially others and potentially the entire campus. So you used an interesting terminology in risk management, which is typically considered a business term. What do you mean by risk management? I think the term that's used most often in the Greek world is risk management because I think we try to to teach our students, you know, what are all the risks out there and then how to better make decisions to respond to those risks. And I I think for a a lot of students, they probably don't get that training before they, they come to college. And that is one of the things sororities are able to do is we're able to provide, and I call it life skills training because that's in essence, you know, what it what it is. Mm-hmm. Give me an example of some uh, of the... For example, in, we have a program that is uh, specific for training about alcohol, and so women learn about what constitutes one drink. You know, how does that impact your body if you have more than one drink, and depending on the other factors that are involved, so they learn how to make decisions. They learn about the risk of of hazing. They learn about how not to be a bystander and intervening as a bystander. This is one of the areas that I think we all have a lot of opportunity to more empower our students because oftentimes things happen and people haven't reacted. And so we've worked very hard to try to continue to teach our students that it is all right to be, to intervene as a bystander. In fact, it's it is the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, when in today's world, when so many measure their worth against the likes that they get uh, through social media, that presents its own set of challenges because I think people are afraid that if they take an action or if they do something, they may not, it may not be the most popular decision. And this is what's challenging for our young leaders is that they're having to make decisions of doing the right thing, even though it may not be the most popular thing to do. How do you go about 
incentivizing and coaching and helping them understand how to go about doing that, helping them feel supported when they do take that, you know, the mm-hmm. path less less traveled, mm-hmm. if you will, meaning speaking up when they see mm-hmm. something that's wrong. How do you, what's the process? How do you coach them to learn how to do that, to feel that mm-hmm. they'll be supported when they raise their hand and say, hey, this isn't right? Well, one of the ways, and, and we certainly talked about earlier, is that we have advisors and we have mentors that help them to give them courage and know that they're making the right decision. We also, as an organization, provide a great deal of training and they're, whether it's our the Nancy Walton Laurie Leadership Institute of Chi Omega, uh, we have several modules on values and ethics, on the resilient leader, that we're able to take that training to our collegiate members. We also train the officers and help them understand what it takes to be a leader in in today's world. So we try to give them the resources and then when decisions have to be made, we try to give them the support locally as well as from the national organization. And and then if things don't go like we all intend, then there are accountability pieces as well that are part of that. Mm -hmm. Um, We've certainly noticed that the universities are definitely involve more in our private organizations, which has been a great challenge. And certainly one of the areas that we are very concerned about is is what has been happening at Harvard. And certainly Chi Omega supports the efforts to stand up to Harvard because we believe not only should women have the opportunity to be involved in an organization of other women, but that universities should not be dictating what uh, a private organization and our right to assemble. Mm -hmm. Shelley, let's dig into what's happening at Harvard. You've just Mm -hmm. alluded to that, but let's talk about what they actually did and how the Panhellenic Council, Chi Omega, and the other sororities and fraternities are responding to that. Mm -hmm. So how this evolved, sororities, fraternities, and final clubs have been at Harvard for hundreds of years, but for sororities, it's only been about 25 years that they're actually sorority chapters, and they are completely off campus. So women students at Harvard could choose to be a part of a national organization that is off campus. And a couple of years ago, Harvard determined that any young woman who was part of a sorority would no longer be eligible for some of the other opportunities that other Harvard students have, such as having a recommendation from a faculty member to be a Rhodes Scholar or serving as a leader of a sports team or other campus leadership. So, And this is true of any single gender organizations, exactly. both male and Correct. female. Correct. Correct. And so there were four organizations at Harvard, four women's organizations that were nationally affiliated. And in that period of time now, those organizations have had to cease operations because of the the pressure from the university. And so this past week, there uh, was a lawsuit that was filed. And uh, anyone wants to know more, they can go to the National Panhellenic Conference website or or go to NIC and learn more about, you know, the the specifics of of what is going on. But the bigger question is, you know, should women or men be allowed to participate in single-gender organizations uh, where they have the opportunity for that support network 
It's challenging, right? Because the world has evolved, and yet there is value that comes from being able to gather together, as women in particular, in these supportive networks. And that sounds like that's really what you're talking about. That was certainly my experience, and in the interest of disclosure, I am a loyal member of Chi Omega fraternity, Mm -hmm. as are you. It was incredibly valuable, but it didn't feel like you were excluding people. It felt like an opportunity to really grow and develop your leadership skills. So it's a matter of getting this balance Mm -hmm. right in this current environment. Exactly. And I think that uh, the numbers of women wanting to be in sororities has grown. And so there is still interest in what sororities offer. And so I am hopeful that uh, regardless of the outcome of the Harvard case, that that will be recognized, that there is value in women having the opportunity to join together. Chimega is is celebrating our 125th anniversary in 2020. And so what we know is that when our founders came together, they came together to give opportunities for women beyond what was existing. And so that's what sororities do is it gives women opportunities that don't exist any other way. Let's talk a bit about the Leadership Institute that's part of Chi Omega and what you're attempting to accomplish with that. What is the Nancy Walton Laurie Leadership Institute? So we are extraordinarily proud of of the Nancy Walton Laurie Leadership Institute of Chi Omega. It was founded almost now 20 years ago, and the purpose of it was to have intergenerational opportunities to educate women on on topics of all kinds. As I had mentioned earlier, some of our modules have been about decision-making, about values and ethics, about how, how to have a balanced life. The current module that is we're using is the resilient leader, and there's no question that the resilient leader is a very timely topic. But what we do is we bring together collegians and alumni in either a region or at our headquarters in Memphis, and we have an opportunity to explore leadership and what it means and how to be a better leader in whatever the topic might be. And we have our participants not only, you know, be introspective and figure out how they can improve what they're doing, how to work with groups, how to work through challenging situations. And I know one of the modules that I've always really appreciated in the values and ethics is, you know, how do you respond when your own values are challenged? And so we try to give our sisters the opportunity to figure that out and to help have the tools and resources that they need. And then the intergenerational piece is fantastic because the collegians and the alumni don't don't necessarily know each other because we bring them in from all over the country. So they build friendships. The alumni then can become mentors to those collegiate sisters and help them grow in whatever they they want to do. You talked a bit about tools for helping to build the resilient leader. Give me a few examples of those. Well, some of them are things as simple as having that step-by-step thing to think about when you're making a decision. Others are things that you are industry-wide, things like strength finders and being able to call upon other tools that corporations use that 
individuals have proven to be, uh, research has proven to be excellent resources for women. And certainly the right now the Core Clarity Strength Finders has been extraordinarily successful with our sisters because what, what has happened, as you would expect, is that when people know what their strengths are and what their challenges are, they're better able to work with others. So it teaches us how to be better leaders, how to be better family members, community professionals, because we learn how to be our best and then how to mitigate the things that perhaps are not our strength, depending upon what situation we may find ourselves in. I've always been fascinated by the fact that you know, each of these organizations compete aggressively to recruit members, right? It's a pretty competitive thing, but it's very collaborative, especially when you get to your level and when you're dealing with challenges that affect the entire Greek system, you are really quite collaborative. Talk a bit about how that collaboration works across these organizations. Well, absolutely. We have, as I mentioned, 26 national organizations. And so the 26 national presidents, international presidents, meet at least twice a year. And we talk about these challenges. We work together on problem solving. And we're all part of what we call the National Panhellenic Conference, which is an organization that that brings us together so that we're able to address these as a as a group. And so a lot of times when I'm at the meetings and it's been my privilege to serve with other women who have dedicated their lives to service to their fraternities and sororities, it is to talk about what are what are those challenges and how do we show the benefits, showcase the benefits of being a part of a sorority in a way that is successful. And then when we have challenges, what do we do collectively to try to deal with the challenges, whether it is alcohol or other issues on specific campuses? How do we come together as as organizations to address that? Because we all believe in the same thing. We believe there is value in coming together. So we need to work together to, to continue the, the great history that we all have as uh, fraternities and sororities. From where you sit, is there one challenge in particular that really stands out to you as it relates to young women as they are in college and getting ready to launch into their on their respective journeys? What would that be? I think the challenge from an industry perspective is just that they understand what it is we're, we're trying to do and that we tell our story better. The young women who are part of sororities on campuses are the, the best and the brightest. And oftentimes, you know, they only are seen as social or other things. So we've got to do better at telling the story of what they actually do, the hours of service they give, the money that they raise the good they do on the campuses to support one another, the, le- the leadership they provide. I think that's, that's one of the challenges because it's too easy when something does go wrong for us all to be characterized as, as not in the best interest of a particular campus. So, so I think the, the negative PR that we're facing is probably one of the greatest challenges. But some of that is earned. And so we have to work even harder to show that we are so much more than what uh, maybe that reputation has, has become. 
Do you see big differences? I know you've done a lot of research on changing generational sort of views as it relates to organizations like this. Do you see that changing? Um, I mean, sort of the new generation coming in, do they have different views about Greek life and how will that impact the way in which you're training and sort of helping them on their leadership journey? Absolutely. There's a lot of research on Generation Z or some call them the Centennials and the first classes are just now hitting the college campuses. And so as an organization, yes, we are seeing differences and all the research indicates that this next generation is more purposeful. They care deeply about community. They care about being a part of something bigger than themselves, about giving back, about being inclusive of others. So I do think that there will still be interest in sororities because of all those values. All the sororities, our our founding values include uh, high academics. Uh, It includes Uh, community service, giving back to our communities. We all have national philanthropies for Chimega. It is Make-A-Wish. We have raised over $20 million for Make-A-Wish nationally, as well as given over 1 million volunteer hours, which is absolutely extraordinary. And all the other groups are doing the same kinds of things. And I think the next generation, even though they've spent their lives living on social media, they also see the benefit of community and that's what sororities will continue to offer and that family home away from home i think will still be very very strong for those students do you see any difference in the way this incoming generation looks at things like drugs and alcohol well i can't quote any data off the top of my head but there's quite a bit of research actually that indicates This generation, first of all, is not quite as social, outwardly social, and they may not consume as much alcohol and drugs. So there there is research that that is pretty compelling. And so that also is a reason for optimism that what sororities really offer is so much more than the, the social piece. Yeah. How about social media is such a big part of our lives? How about efforts within Chi Omega and the other sororities within the Greek system to help students navigate that a bit better and sort of deal with the social pressure that sometimes can come with social media? Right. Well, we have been working with our students, and each of our national leadership consultants works with our individual chapters about uh, social media training, because I think for a lot of students, too, they don't may not realize that their footprint on social media or fingerprint, if you will, doesn't go away. And so we know that employers look at social media presence. We know that awards, scholarships, there are now people who are noticing how people present themselves on social media. So we try to help our students make good decisions about what how they present themselves. We also know that social media, unfortunately, has created a culture where students think they have to curate the perfect life. And that leads to a lot of mental health challenges because if, you're, if your worth is measured in likes, that can only have have challenges so we try to talk about authentic connections authentic friendship and what does that really mean 
it's not measured in how many likes you get on social media. So I, I hope we're able to help them navigate through some of the challenges that, that they're facing. And, and then back to what we talked about before, bystander behavior. It's really important that people have the courage to stand up if they see something that is not right and report it, whether it's through social media or some other way. And, and having courage sometimes when you're on social media can be very challenging. Sure. Shelly, we ask every person who comes on this podcast for a single piece of advice or a life hack. It can be a mantra. What is yours? Well, Laura, it was such a privilege to attend Texas A&M, and what I learned there are the core values that I live by every day, and those are integrity, respect, excellence, leadership, loyalty, and most of all, selfless service. So as I look at the ways to spend my time, I try to give back. I'm one of those people who say yes before the question is asked of how will you give. I believe that that is is what we should all do. And why Chi-Mega has resonated with me as well is that for me, it really is the opportunity to not only in my own life, but in others to help sisters cultivate a lifetime of purpose. I did have the opportunity through Texas A&M to meet uh, President and Mrs. Bush on several occasions. And one of the things I saw Air Force One, Special Force 41, leaving to go back to Houston. And of course, then President Bush will be buried on campus alongside Mrs. Bush as we're we're speaking. And Robin and their child, Robin. And we're so privileged to have the library there and the bushes were very generous they spent a lot of time on campus they even participated in Chi Omega's song fest which raises money for philanthropic causes but every time i had the opportunity to interact with the bushes i picked up on the same couple of qualities humility graciousness and service above self and that is so inspiring to me And probably if I have any advice that I would pass forward, it would be that those are about the best three qualities that you can have to realize that you are part of something bigger than yourself, whether it's your alma mater, whether it's a community organization, or in my case, a sorority, a fraternity, is that I'm part of something bigger than me, and I can make an impact on young women. I can help them lead a lifetime of purpose by the kinds of support and training that they can receive as collegiate women. And so that, that's why I've stayed involved, not only with Chi Omega, but also engaged with my alma mater, and I'm privileged to have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Shelley, thank you so much for being here today. It's such a pleasure. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. Loved having you. To learn more about Shelly, you can visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There we will include show notes, which include links to a number of topics that we talked about with Shelly today. You can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps, and we love hearing your feedback. Thanks so much for listening.